Thanks, Lucas. I am an elder, an elder, eldest. <laughs> There's both levels there. Um, and by the way, welcome to the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> I knew that a, a large contingent of people were moving from that area and from California to Texas, but I had no idea where they were bringing their climate with them when they came. So, if you're from there, pardon me for saying that. I'm just waiting for warmer and drier weather and looking forward to that. Last Monday, celebrated my wife's 39th birthday for over the 30th time. <laughs> Early on in our marriage, um, when it came for her birthday, I would get her gifts. Surprise gifts that I thought were really cool and surprise her with those and give her those gifts. I had a blast just watching her open the gifts that I had gotten. A few years into our marriage, uh, she told me, I really don't like surprise gifts. I'd rather get gifts that I want, not gifts that you think I want. So she started to give me a list. Here's the things that I want. Okay, so it came time for birthday, I got the list, I went out, I purchased the gifts, and I gave her the gifts that she wanted. That was not near as much fun for me as giving her surprise gifts. And then it dawned on me, her birthday wasn't about me. I know that's shocking. It really was about her. Would it interest you to know that God has compiled a gift list that he has given to the church so that we can give those gifts to each other? After all, the church is really not about us, it's about his glory. And so he has provided us a list of gifts that if we will give them to each other, the church will be healthier, more mature, and effective in ministry. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 15 this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 to 15. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly and encourage the faint-hearted and help the weak and be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. There are basically two sets of gifts in this short little text. There are gifts that are requested. Verse 12. He says, I request of you. It's like if you had a need and a personal friend could meet that, you would say, I'd I could really use your help. Would you mind coming over and helping me out? It's a request that you would give to a personal friend. That's the first set of gifts. The second set of gifts begins in verse 14. We urge you, and these are gifts that are exhorted, almost demanded, I title these gifts that are urgently needed. 
Again, if you had a need and you called a friend and said, I need your help now. Not when you can get around to it, but now, come now. These are urgently needed gifts. Two categories, gifts that are kindly requested, gifts that are urgently needed. Let's look at the first set of gifts, gifts that are kindly requested. And again, these are divided into two areas. There are gifts that you give to leaders, and there's a gift that we give to all of us. Verse 12. We request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you, have charge over you in the Lord, and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. The first set of gifts are gifts that you and I give to those who are spiritual leaders in the church. When you give these gifts to the church leaders, the church itself will be whole and healthy. And with three broad brushstrokes, Paul defines spiritual leaders as those who diligently labor among you, who have charge over you in the Lord, and give you instruction. Let me see if I can boil that down. Spiritual leaders are those who work hard for you, they care for you, and they instruct you. That's Paul's definition of who a spiritual leader is in the church. These are spiritual leaders who have set the example, both in character and conduct. They instill a vision, they give confidence for you to pursue it, and they encourage others to follow. And they do it faithfully, consistently, and with great effort. There's no doubt that Andy has been that kind of leader for over 25 years here at Grace Bible Church, as both a staff member and then a senior pastor. He has instructed us, cared for us, and worked hard for us. And we're trusting that our next senior pastor will do the same. That will be his characteristic. He will work hard for us. He will instruct us. And he'll care for us. So here's your question this morning. What can you do to help? What's the gift that you can give to the next senior pastor that will enable him to do those things well? Paul tells us right here in this text. Here's what I'm asking, church. Here's what you can do appreciate them and esteem them very highly in love. To appreciate is literally to know. Not know in the sense of have head knowledge about, but know in the sense of have a relationship with. I mean, we all have knowledge about things that we know something about, and then we have knowledge of something that we've learned somewhere along the way because we've experienced it. Paul says, I want you to know them, to have a relationship with it. It's to understand that in many ways, he is just like you and I. He deals with the same things you and I deal with every day. Sleep or lack thereof, food to eat, a wife to love, kids to nurture, responsibilities at work. And then on top of that, his calling in life is to shepherd and care for the bride of Christ. What an incredible privilege. What an awesome responsibility. 
So to know our new pastor means don't take him for granted. But appreciate him, pray for him, encourage him. But also, esteem him very highly in love. Show him the greatest respect with wholehearted love. Notice the text says very highly, which is a strong adverb. It means to be super abundantly beyond measure. That's a whole bunch. Show him great love, highly esteem. Hold your spiritual leaders and mentors in the highest regard and do it with love. Can I tell you from experience that spiritual leadership is a great responsibility, but at times it's also a daunting task. It can make you feel incredibly inadequate. As a senior pastor, it had been my responsibility and it will be the responsibility of our new senior pastor to clearly communicate to you the eternal unchanging, inerrant word of God. That's a daunting task. Along with that, he bears the burdens and struggles that you face when you come to him and say, help me with this. My marriage is in crisis. My kids are struggling. I've lost my job. And he bears all of those burdens without being overwhelmed by them. And add to that that it is a spiritual battle because Satan would love to discourage and disqualify any senior pastor because it brings disrepute upon the name of Christ. The encouragements are often few and the burdens are great. So as our new senior pastor comes, Let's give him the gift of respect and honor and do it with great love, knowing his character, his heart, and praying for him. Now, Paul is not saying that we're supposed to put spiritual leaders on a pedestal, that we blind ourselves to their faults, but neither should we hold back our praise and our recognition and our prayers and our esteem. By the way, notice that Paul does not say this is relegated for the senior pastor only. It's for any spiritual leader that cares for you, labors diligently on your behalf, and instructs you. So how about if we did the same for Lucas and Kevin, and Raina, and Bob, and Goots. If you're in those realms and they are your spiritual mentors and leaders, honor them, pray for them, know them, esteem them, because it enables them to do their job well. Let me take just a little bit of a rabbit trail and look at the end of the book of Hebrews, chapter 13 and verse 17, and notice how the writer to the Hebrews states it here. Obey your leaders. Really? (laughs) Submit to them. Why? Because they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. 
Let them do this with joy and not with grief because this would be unprofitable for you. You know, we would expect him to say this would be unprofitable for the leader. But the writer says it's unprofitable for you. Obey them, line up behind them, submit to their authority and their leadership. Why? Because they keep watch over your souls. And they will give an account. Every spiritual leader will someday stand before the judgment seat of Christ and they'll give an account for their faithfulness, their character, their attitude, and how well they served. They'll bear that responsibility. To enable them to do that well, to shepherd with joy, Diligence and satisfaction, if you will. Honor them, respect them, submit to them, esteem them highly. Follow their leadership. Because failure to do so not only brings grief to them, it brings grief to you. Dishonors the name of Christ, it hinders the work of the church. To cause the leaders to grieve is to cause you to grieve. Now, I realize that not all leaders are spiritual. Not none of us are infallible. None of us have it all together. And while it is unbiblical to support poor, wrong leadership, it's unprofitable to resist good, godly leadership. God has placed them there. He'll be the judge, not you and not me. Your job, our joy, if you will, is to submit, to obey, to honor, to esteem, to pray, not to resist or criticize. That's a gift that Paul requests that the church members give to their spiritual leaders. The church will be healthier. You'll be better off, says Paul. Can I give you, can I ask you to give this gift to your spiritual leaders? And then at the end of the verse, the end of verse 13, he moves from gifts that we give to our spiritual leaders to a gift that we can give to each other. Each of us can give this gift. Notice what he says, the end of verse 13. Live in peace with one another. Now, some commentators suggest that this is continuing along the same line. That's what the leaders are to do, and you're supposed to live in peace with your leader. But I'm convinced because he uses the phrase one another that he's talking about all of us. Live in peace with one another. Be at peace among yourselves. Let me give you a definition. Peace is a deliberate refusal to create factions and a deliberate intention to cultivate harmony. Peace is a deliberate refusal to create factions and a deliberate intention to create harmony. Be at peace with those who wear a mask and those who don't. Be at peace with those who get vaccinated and those who don't. 
be at peace with those who listen to Fox News and those who listen to CNN. Be at peace with those who vote differently than you. That's his point. Be at peace with one another. Don't create factions, create, cultivate harmony. Pursue the best. Think the best. Give the benefit of the doubt. Pursue the shalom of God in the midst of the church family. Why? Why should we live at peace with one another? Because peace is a calming influence in the midst of the chaos. Peace creates harmony. Peace creates rest. Peace creates tranquility. And you and I can give this gift to each other because according to Romans chapter 5 and verse verse 1, we already have this gift. Therefore, having been justified by God, we have, says the text, peace with God. We've been reconciled to God. We who were once enemies, we who once were opposed to him, we who once were on opposite sides, if you will, who viewed life totally different than God said it needed to be viewed, have been reconciled to the eternal God of the universe. And he's at peace with us. And we're at peace with him. And because we have his peace, we can give that peace to each other. We can live at peace with people who are different than we are. These two gifts, one to our leaders and one for all of us, are gifts that are requested. These would be helpful for the health of the church. So I'm asking you, says Paul, to give these gifts. Give this gift to your leaders and give this gift to each other. And then in verse 14, he changes it just a little bit. Because he changes the wording. He uses the word urge, exhort. It's a very strong word. It almost borders on, I demand you to do this. But I'm really exhorting you. You really urgently need to do these things. If the church is going to be healthy, if the church is going to grow, if the church is going to become what God wants it to be and give him glory, I urge you to do these things. These are the one another responsibilities that we have because in a very real sense, we're all in the ministry. We're all caring for one another. And he talks about gifts that are urgently needed, and he says there are three different categories of these and three different areas of need. Special needs, for lack of a better way to put it. There are gifts for special needs. Admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak. Now, not everyone is unruly, and not everyone is faint-hearted, and not everyone is weak, but when anyone is in those categories, and you see them there, there's a gift that you need to give them. The word unruly is literally a military word, and it means to be out of step. Many years ago, when I was in high school, I played percussion, and I played the drums in the marching band. My job was to keep the beat so the band members could stay in step. Sometimes, despite what an awesome job I was doing playing the drums, someone would get out of step. 
And then they had to be corrected. Could have been corrected by someone right next to them. You're out of step. Sometimes they were corrected by the band instructor. But they were put back in step. Sometimes, as believers, we get out of step. We get out of step with what honors God. It's not always intentional, and we don't always recognize it. But sometimes we develop a critical spirit or judgmental attitude. Or we lack thankfulness. Or we're not supporting the ministry as well as we could, both with our praise and our gifts. Sometimes we take advantage of others. That was the issue in Thessalonica when Paul wrote the second letter. In chapter 3, he talked about those who went, you know, I understand that Jesus is coming back soon. Could be today. So really, this getting up early and going to work is kind of for the birds, so I think I'll quit working. And therefore, I won't have to do this, and since you're working, I'll take money from you. I'll live off of you. I'll come to your house for dinner. (laughs) I'll borrow your camel. I'll take advantage of you. Paul says, no, we all ought to work in that sense. To take advantage of others. They were out of step. And when we get out of step, the gift that needs to be given to the person who's out of step is admonishment. Admonish the unruly. It's not judgmental. It's not saying, you idiot, what are you doing? That might be what you want to say. That's not admonishment. Admonishment is coming alongside and helping them to understand the consequences of their continuing to act in this way. One writer said it's talking sense into them. It's helping them to understand that if they continue with a critical spirit, if they continue to be unthankful, if they continue to take advantage of others, it'll be detrimental to them and detrimental to the church. Admonishment helps them understand that. It talks sense into them. It helps them. And that's a gift that any one of us can give. Admonish the unruly. Encourage the faint-hearted. The old King James, many of you in here haven't ever seen an old King James, but the old King James translated that feeble-minded. So I told the early service, I said, therefore, any of us over 60 qualify to be encouraged because we're all feeble-minded. You get into the room and go, what am I here for? But the word is literally timid. It's faint-hearted. It refers to those who struggle under the weight of life's problems. And life does have problems. People get exhausted. They get worn out, some easier than others. They can be drained, drained spiritually, drained physically, drained morally, and they really feel as if they can't go on. And I'd like to suggest to you that one of the ways that we are drained is by worry and fear. And if there's anything that's running amok in our world today, it's fear. There's fear that the virus is going to come back. 
There's fear that there's gonna be another strain. There's fear that we're gonna have to continue to wear these masks in different places forever. There's fear of the way, the direction, the economy is going. There's fear of what's gonna happen in our country. There's fear about things that are happening in education. And that fear can drain us spiritually and physically and emotionally. And that fear can enter the church. And any one of us can end up fearful and overly worried, faint-hearted. Because we forget that God has not given us a spirit of fear. According to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And when we forget that and don't put that into practice, we let fear drain us and we become faint-hearted. And what we need is encouragement. And the word encourage literally means to call alongside for help. So to give encouragement is to come alongside someone and help them. You don't give encouragement by throwing truth bombs from a distance. That's easy to do. You give encouragement by coming alongside the person who's faint-hearted and reassuring them, strengthening them, helping them, being a part of their lives, helping them know what they need to know and do what they need to do, and sometimes that takes time. We were never designed to live in isolation. We were designed to be in a community. From the very beginning, God said, let us make man in our image. And it wasn't good for the man to be alone because we were designed for community. And if the pandemic has taught us anything, and hopefully it has taught us a lot, one of the things is that we don't do well when we're isolated. We don't do well when we're out of community because we need each other. Encourage one another. Come alongside because we all need a little encouragement. We also need encouragement not just because we're feeble-minded or faint-hearted, but because sin is so incredibly deceitful. Notice what the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after today, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What's today? Well, somebody will say, well, it's Sunday. Well, that's true, but it's today. It's not yesterday and it's not tomorrow, it's today. So what day will Monday be? Yeah, it'll be Monday, but it'll be today. It won't be Sunday, it won't be Tuesday, it'll be today. And so long as you have today, whatever today is, encourage one another. Encourage one another. Support one another. Why? Because sin is incredibly deceitful. And when you encourage someone else, it benefits them and it benefits you. It keeps you from being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We really do need each other. 
Paul says this gift is urgently needed. Be an encourager. Encourage one another. Admonish the unruly. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Uses another word. Weak is someone who is not just drained, but someone who is physically weak or spiritually weak or morally weak. Weakness could refer to any of those. I suspect that the writer meant it to refer to all of them. The spiritually weak could be those who are uncertain about their salvation. They have a really difficult time believing that they're forgiven and that they can really trust God with the everyday details of their lives. Physically weak could be those who have their own set of physical challenges. Could just be the aging process. Could be some disease. The morally weak could be those who just have a difficulty dealing with temptation and sanctification and being self-disciplined. Whatever category it is, when any of us are in that boat, if you will, or you see someone there, help them. Help them. You know what the word help means? It literally means to hold firmly and to cling tightly to, to support. Put your strong arms around them and help them. Bear that burden. Go along with them on that journey and that path. And the only way you and I can do that is to be in community with them. Again, you don't help from a distance. You help from being close by. Don't let them drift away. But come alongside them and help them. Any one of us can be weak at any given time for a variety of causes. Therefore, any one of us can be in need of receiving that gift and any one of us can be capable of giving that gift. Help the weak, encourage the faint-hearted, admonish the unruly. Those are specific times, specific gifts, and there are general gifts for all times. Be patient with everyone. You have got to be kidding me. I have to be patient with the unruly. I have to be patient with the faint-hearted. I have to be patient with the weak. Yeah, be patient with everyone. Be patient with the people that aggravate you. Be patient with the people that try your patience. It's so easy to get frustrated. It's so easy to get exasperated. Sometimes people refuse our help. And you just want to kind of throw up your hands and quit. Sometimes people are slow to respond. And what we need is patience. Literally, the word is long-tempered or long-fused. To me, patient means we don't back away, we don't withdraw, but we manifest a quiet, steady strength that keeps doing what needs to be done. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of being a parent. You provide for your kids. You clothe them. You feed them. You transport them. You give to them. And then they become teenagers. Sorry, teenagers. 
but it's true. And then you go. And all of a sudden, as a parent, you know nothing. You're the dumbest person ever existed. Your advice is worthless. Your ideas hold no value. And no matter what you do, it's not the right thing. And sometimes as parents, and don't tell me as parents you haven't thought this, I quit. If you don't think that I have anything to offer as your parents, fine. Here's your bag, go. <laughs> but we don't, even though we think we, about that, we keep being a parent. Why? You're the adult in the room. And unfortunately, sometimes we have to act like adults. Be the parent. Be patient with everyone. And you know what you discover once you're in a church community? Sometimes adults can act like children and throw temper tantrums. None of you, I'm sure, but other people in other churches have done that. I know, I've been there. Be patient with them. Be patient with them. Be patient with everyone. Hang in there. Refuse to retaliate and instead do good. Don't tit for tat, but instead do good. And notice how he phrases it here in this text. Always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Always is in what the Greek call the emphatic position. Always, always, it's first. Here's what you need to do. Always seek after, pursue, diligently, act on behalf of others to do good. What is morally good, what is beneficially good, what is God-honoringly good. Do what's good, what's right. We don't overcome evil with evil. You overcome evil with good. Be patient with everyone and do good. Respond to ugly comments with kind words, frowns with smiles, and backstabbing with genuine forgiveness. It's not easy to give the gift of goodness in the midst of being hurt, but that's what he says, be good. Not just be good yourself, but give good to others. Don't retaliate. Be patient. Give good. Well, that's it. Two gifts that are kindly requested. This would be really helpful for the church. If you would support, encourage, pray for, esteem, and honor your spiritual leaders. And secondly, if you just be at peace with everyone. Just really request you, says Paul, to do this within your church family. It'd be very helpful. Second set of categories are gifts that are urgently needed. Admonish the unruly and encourage the faint-hearted and help the weak and be patient with everyone and do good. For the church, for Grace Bible Church, to be whole and healthy and continue to be salt and light in the community in which we live, and continue the legacy with which we've been left, these gifts would be incredibly helpful. If each of us would take the responsibility to be gift givers. So let me ask you a question as I wrap this up. 
When you receive a gift from a loved one, from a friend, or from an anonymous source, what do you do with it? Put it in the closet, right? That's really nice. I really appreciate they gave me a gift, and I'm going to put it over here. Now, what do you do? You unwrap it. You find out what its intended use is, and you use it. If someone decided that Jeff Sherwood could become a better golfer and they invested in my golf game by giving me the very best, most expensive set of golf clubs ever and I put them in my garage, would they do me any good? Now, they may not do me any good anyway because I have a lot of other factors in terms of becoming a better golfer. However, the intended purpose is to help me be a better golfer. But if I never use them, they have no value. God has given to the church a list of gifts. And he's provided us with the ability to give those gifts through the redemption that we have in Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit who lives in in us. And by putting us together within a body of believers. So the way that Grace Bible Church grows in faith and hope and love and continues, as I've said already, to be a beacon of grace and truth in the community is that we take the gifts that we've been given, the lists that God has given us, and employ them for their intended purpose. Therefore, to that end, let's be known as generous gift givers. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for your incredible grace to us, the gift of life in Christ. Wow. Father, you've paid it all, and therefore we owe it all to you. And then you give us a list, and you indwell us with your spirit, so help us, Father, by the power of your spirit to be generous gift givers with that which you've given us for your glory and for the honor of this church. In Jesus' name, amen.